In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This week, my Facebook memories were full of pictures and reflections of life from the earliest days of the COVID shutdown. There were photos of Rick and Linda's first live stream church setup that was a hodgepodge there right at the crossing. There was a post that I wrote from outside Kroger waiting with 25 other people for it to open at 7 a.m. so we could buy toilet paper. My favorite was the picture of the whiteboard in the conference room with a 90-day plan to reopen and blow the doors off the church with brass on Pentecost Day. March 2020, Steve was so naive and so stupid. This year, unlike last March when these memories rolled through, I was allowing myself to feel some of the feelings of it. I felt a little bit even nostalgic for how life slowed down in those days and our kids got to be kids for a little while. I felt frustrated with how long it's taken us to get beyond COVID's disruptions. And I felt hopeful for what the future might hold. That hope is built in a lot of ways upon the ongoing work of bringing this parish back to its active and full life. Of course, starting back from a standstill takes a while and it requires us to use some muscles that we haven't used in a long time. Like getting back into exercise, we are taking it slow building over and over, being very careful not to hurt ourselves in the process. So for example, the Alleluia banner that will beautifully adorn the nave on Easter day, well, it's not done being colored in yet. We're not stressing about that. We still have a few weeks and there are people in the building again and adults love to color. So we've had it laying out in the conference room for people to fill in as necessary. So I got a text Monday night from Karen Crabtree as EFM was wrapping up and the worst thing had happened. Marker had bled through the banner onto the conference table that was just refinished last year. Now, most of us might know Karen well enough to know that she was just a little anxious about this problem. She had checked several times to make sure the markers she chose weren't gonna bleed through and yet it happened. Life happens. So from the comfort of my living room, my response was much less anxious and much more joyful. I texted back to her and I said, it means that our church is alive. I'll take messy tables any day of the week. And Karen, in her wisdom, quickly wrote back, life is messy. Whew, that is true. Life is messy. Life in all its shapes and forms is messy. Life from birth to death and everything in between is messy. And while there are several lessons that we could glean from the gospel lesson this morning, this week my take on it is that Jesus knows all too well how messy life can be. The reading begins with a classic question of theodicy. Why do bad things happen? 
Specifically, why do bad things happen to good people? The Galileans whom Pilate had killed were killed while they were offering their sacrifice to God. Surely God could have stopped that from happening. The 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell, why them? In our own context, I couldn't help but think of the 475 families who had their homes significantly damaged in the December tornado. Were they more deserving of headache and heartache than I am, where two blocks away I had internet the next morning? Jesus won't even entertain the question. Focusing on what others did or didn't do to deserve the hardships in their lives is futile, Jesus says. His response is simply a call to repentance lest we too should find ourselves unprepared. Now, if life is as fragile as it seems, given the stories of the Galileans killed by Pilate, or the 18 crushed when the tower fell, then we should get to work, producing good fruit, the fruit of repentance, showing signs of a life committed to the kingdom of God, rather than the kingdom of self-preservation. And in typical Jesus fashion, to bring this point home, he uses a parable, a story, about something that he saw in nature. This time, it's the story of a fig tree that after three years of growth, still had not produced any fruit. The landowner grew tired of this tree that was now at least two harvests behind schedule, commanded the gardener to chop it down. It was nothing more than a waste of good soil. The gardener, the one who had tended this particular tree for three years, the gardener knew this tree just needed some special love a little extra care and attention. And so they asked the landowner for a stay of execution. Give it one more year. I'll dig around it. Give it plenty of manure and hopefully next season it will produce fruit. The gardener put all their money in on dirt, manure, and sweat to bring about life, messy, messy life for that tree. I got to know a little something about that kind of messy life back in 2008. The grass in South Alabama is not like the beautiful lush grass that we have here in Kentucky. Zoiza grass and centipede grass grow in sandy soil, but they are ugly and rough and hard to maintain. So when my parents moved down there into a brand new house with a freshly sodded lawn, my dad wanted to make sure he took the best care of that grass that he could. So he went down to the Ace Hardware and he asked around what was the best fertilizer he could use and the consensus at ACE was that turkey manure was the best fertilizer you could use. 
So early in the growing season, it was like February in South Alabama, dad took a couple of bags of turkey poop and spread it on his yard and watered it like the instructions had said, waited for it to do its work. But the folks at Ace Hardware forgot to mention one important point. No matter the season in South Alabama, the sun is very, very hot. Do you know what happens when turkey manure meets hot sun? It stinks. It stinks terribly. It stinks so bad that you would like to sell your house and move a thousand miles away. So nobody wanted to be out in the lawn that spring, but from inside, it looked beautiful and green and lush. Life is messy. And the things that we do to bring about abundant life are sometimes even messier. When Jesus uses the parable of the fig tree surrounded by manure, he is affirming the messiness of life and giving us permission to get into it. And like our parish restarting after COVID, each of us have in our own lives, I believe, gone through fits and starts in discipleship. Sometimes producing fruits of repentance comes easy, but often our own spiritual lives need to be tended with some extra care. Occasionally we can just run down to the Ace Hardware, the spiritual Ace Hardware, get some advice and things will get clicking again. But other times like the fig tree, we need someone outside of ourselves to roll up their sleeves, to offer their time and talent and wisdom to be unafraid to get dirty right alongside us. This second route is, I think, why congregations exist. We are here to support one another. And by we, I don't just mean the clergy, and I don't just mean the staff, and I don't mean the vestry. I mean all of us. Every person in the pews, online, or listed in the directory is here to support one another through the messiness of life, to pray for each other, to encourage one another. Now this caring for other people thing is pretty messy in and of itself, but it is the gift of community. And sometimes marker is gonna leak through. Sometimes the turkey manure is gonna stink so bad we want to break relationship. But as good gardeners in God's kingdom, we are committed to sticking it out, working together in the hopes of producing fruit that endures, in the hopes of becoming the beloved community that God dreamed in creation. Life is messy, dear friends. But thankfully, we have each other. Amen.